0: the incarcerated community but also society as a whole. The subject today is called implicit bias and we have a guest who will break this term down and give our listeners a perspective that they may not have previously had. Our guest is a brother who has also done time and now that he is back out in the free world, he has become very productive and transformed not only his life but now sits on numerous boards and wears many different hats. A whole show could be done on the brother's accomplishments, success, and commitment to change. But with that being said, my first question will give a brother a chance to talk first about all he is doing out in Spokane and all over Washington State. My brother, welcome. Please tell us your name, and if you will, share some of what you do with our listeners.
1: Well, Philip, I just want to thank you all so much for inviting me on, giving me the opportunity to uh you know, to be in fellowship with you, at least as far as you know, as this venue, right? And and obviously, uh, Chris, Christopher, and Erica. Um, you know, I, I. You know, my name is Curtis Robinson. I, I go by he, him, his. Uh, identify as BIPOC, Black Indigenous person of color. And um, you know what I do is, you know, I. I, I mean, just simply put, I sold out, right? Um, I sold out to the fact that my life is not my own. I'm on a mission. I will not be denied. Um, I will not back off. Um, I will do things uh, in the most truthful and restorative way that I possibly can, but it's going to be about truth and uh, it's going to be about what's really going on. And, you know, and I'm going to leverage every single place that I can get my face into for the sake of our people and the mission uh, to uh, address what's going on here in America and especially in Eastern Washington. I'm going to leverage that space to have that real talk, to have that real accountability and to have some, you know, hopefully some real um, uh, conversations and actions based on meaningful change. Because what I really believe is that, you know, we're, we're at a place here in, as far as our human family where we can ill afford to continue to move the way that we've been moving uh, to this point. The environment's blowing up around us. You know, we are just... At each other's throats more often than not. Um, our legislation is really, uh, honestly, it's a mess. Uh, mo- more times, more often than not. And you know, when when um, you know when I take a look around, I have a, a, at least a seven generation responsibility, right? That I that I fully embrace uh, so much more now than I did before. You know, and that's been a transformational process. But you know, I have I have children in this world. And when I look at those children and I, and I interact with them, I have to ask myself, how, how would I want to be treated? What would I want somebody like me to do? Where was I failed as a, as, a, as a growing and developing human being? And how can I make sure that I do the best I can not to only repeat those mistakes, uh, not to repeat those mistakes, right, but move the ball down the court? And so with that, I have just gone into every single arena I can possibly get my, my hands on. I've challenged my limits up one side and right down the other. I hit the ceiling, um, I understand it's there, then I break through it and I go for some more. And then I also make sure that I am calling in uh, the rest of our human family to either you know, go before me, come alongside me or jump in behind me, but whatever, let's get in and let's get it done. Uh, because again, you know, I think this, the, I mean, just bluntly put, the uh, welfare of our species at stake this stage of the game. Um, And that's why I'm uh, involved in the implicit bias conversation, uh, pushing that forward. And with that, um, I sit as the first formerly incarcerated person to be on the criminal justice training commission for Washington state, which oversees uh, accountability for law enforcement. And uh, with the recent legislation, we will we are now figuring out what uh, decertification needs to look like and making sure that it takes in the total context of an officer's history, uh, not just from the date that the, uh, that the legislation came in, which was like July, I think, of uh, 2021, um, but make sure that we're able to go ahead and look over you know, all the dynamics that's happening with our law enforcement our human family. Um, I, I've sat as the uh, president of the Spokane branch of the NAACP. I currently serve as its first vice president. Um, I've served as political action chair for the state area conference, Alaska, Oregon, Washington for the NAACP. And I currently sit as its political action chair. Um, I serve on the board for Better Health Together. I serve on the board for Just Lead. I serve on the board for uh, um, uh, Revive Center for Returning Citizens. And I did the time to advocate for justice of all populations here in Washington state. So and that's not all of it. Right. <laughs> Still, it's a long, and I and I and I get worn out just even breaking down the list. You know, yeah. When I send an email, there's a paragraph under my email for my signature. You know, and I and I don't do that. You know, from a place of like, look, this is all the stuff that I do. It's so that when people know. That when I'm coming into the space and when I'm bringing people in with me, that there are voices that are coming into the room and they are traditionally the voices that have been marginalized, ostracized and harmed by the way that this system has continued to operate here in the Americas. And I am dedicated to making sure that the rest of my life from now to the cows come home until the day I get called home is dedicated to doing everything that I possibly can and beyond what I thought I could do. To move that ball down the court towards, um, you know, having having the those 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 uh, um, foundational pieces that are embedded in the ideas of this country actually be fully manifest, probably for the first time ever here in our country. So that's that's why I'm here, bro. That's uh,
0: that's deep, man. I like that, man. It's, I think that a lot of people say you can't do it all at once, but you are testimony to the fact that. You can do as much as you can, as long as you can sustain it, and as long as you can endure it. Um, I heard all the things you've been doing. I had met you uh, a few years back at County Ridge when you came into our our event, um, and you spoke then, and um, I was impressed then, and I see you still pushing it now. So I definitely wanted to get a hold of you, but I think that you have encircled, you have encircled the problem, and you have been addressing it from every direction, and that's what makes you stand out is because. You're not looking at it as I'm doing all the things that I could do or I got 20 hats on. You're looking at it like I've got to be out here involved so that I can bring others with me and make a, a, make a real change. So with that being said, you know, I want to get you some of these questions so that our listeners can understand this subject better by the time we're done. Um, can you define what implicit bias means? Give us a, a, a description of what that
1: is. Yeah, so essentially, you know, and I try to break it down to like, you know, just like us talk, right? Uh, So bias is a human issue. And there are, there are, there are at least two defined things as as far as colonized Western medicine, psychological thinking and science, right? So there's implicit, which is the unconscious, and there's explicit, which is the right in your face, I'm not trying to hide it stuff, right? And the reality is, is that what those are definitions of basically the way that we operate as a human being for the, uh, the very core foundational base of how we do this thing called life. We have to have biases. It's not whether we have them, it's what are they and where are they housed at? Are they housed up here in the front part of the mind or are they housed in the back part of the mind in the subconscious? And so when we're talking about implicit bias that refers to the unconscious part of the human mind and the absorption rates of that um, unconscious housing if you will have been um, has been programmed or saturated with information at 11 million bits per second for the entirety of our existence it's happening right now in this moment
0: so so what you're saying in other words is that a lot of people walk around with biases that they don't even understand that are there or they don't believe that are there because they are unconscious, so to speak. So their reactions to things and their uh, approach to things is um, overshadowed by these implicit biases. Is that what you're saying?
1: Oh, so much so. Right. And, and even to the point, uh, even a little bit deeper, brother, is that uh, we have we have um, we have identity dynamics built on those biases. Like, you know, uh, and, and it goes all the way back to ancient times with our species, right? We had to have biases. Like, you know, when we went to a drinking hole, you know, and and uh, we watched, if we went to a drinking hole and we dodged a lion that tried to eat us at that drinking hole, you know, we, we're going to think twice about going to that drinking hole, right? If we went, if we used a regular watering hole and we saw several of our people get killed there. We would make sure that we passed on that drinking hole is dangerous, right? And we would have we would have a, a community around us that absorbed that understanding and absorbed and operationalized that programming, right? And when we're talking about biases, biases is actually just not only that happening in one individual's lives where they have an identity based on that thing. Right. Like this is a dangerous watering hole, but also the absorption of that information at 11 billion bits per second. Dangerous, 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 really dangerous on all the levels. Right. So when we're talking about this issue of implicit bias, we're not only talking about the current context of any given situation that a human being is going through. We're also talking about the generational programming that we've all received. And that's where this issue of race comes into play. And I know we're going to get to that. Thanks. Uh, that uh, thought
0: popped up in my mind as we were talking. And so implicit bias or bias was, uh, was basically naturally uh, put inside of our, G- our DNA in order to protect us from certain things. But it's only when it becomes uh, a bias towards a particular thing where there's no cause. Um, that it probably becomes dangerous. Um, so, you know, I'm going to go ahead because uh, I don't want to leave out some of these good questions, but I think I kind of get where you're coming from. So we're going to get some more insight that way the listeners can understand better like I'm trying to understand better. Can you give some examples of how implicit bias up, plays out in today's society?
1: Well, I mean, just like the, you know, the, the, the fact of when we're looking at black and brown people, right? So you take the historical context. So if we we just take, let's take our Native American family, all right, our Native, the indigenous population of this country, there is a bias running around with a lot of um, non-Indigenous people that, hey, there's really not a lot of these people around here. And they're kind of like, really kind of like, not really here anymore, right? Oh, they're here. Right. They're just they're just holding back. The reality is, is that they have one of the smallest populations on the planet right now or on our continent. That's my son. (laughs) He's at the door. (laughs) Uh, That um, uh, they are one of the smallest populations on this continent right now because of the ethnic cleansing that's happened here. Right. But the bias comes in that because we haven't necessarily been taught the extent of that um, uh, colonization that's really happened here and is continuing to play out today, there is the thought or the assumption that, hey, they're just not really around anymore. There's not an unpacking about there's a reason behind that and the truth behind that, right? And so where, where we will operate is from, we will operate from this place and since we don't see them, we they don't necessarily matter that much anymore. Right. And since they don't matter that much anymore, we have a tendency to kind of like lean and favor towards the dominant culture, which, guess what, (laughs) the black and brown people here, it's, you know, it's the it's the white culture here. And so it creates this automatic uh, thing within most of our populations where we will gravitate towards these things of white and whiteness and non-color right and almost even depending on how a person's been raised they will they will they will have an unconscious fear or an unconscious resistance to dark-skinned people not because of any other reason other than they haven't been exposed to them all that much and that's where the bias comes in okay
0: Hold that thought brother, and uh, I'll be right back. you know the lady's calling saying sixty seconds, so you know I like to let that play out, so I listeners so it's a real deal. we're coming straight from the inside, but I'll be right back, yeah ma'am hey everybody. um, I just wanted to say, go to my website, grant parole to philip g r a n t p a r o l e t o P H I L L I P dot com. And scroll down, you'll see a link to donate for my legal fees as I'm in need of a criminal attorney. Uh, I also have another link to donate to my GoFundMe for mental health expenses. Thank everybody for your support and thank everybody for the love they've been showing me. I appreciate it. And um, God willing, you know, it'll make a difference and I'll be home soon. I'm um, back and you know, I think that you've already gave a little bit of an answer to the next question because from what I gather it seems as if you're saying that bias was poured into our DNA through nature um, and, or, and as, a, as, a, as a means of survival uh, so to speak and so this next question I was saying is what do you think the root cause of implicit bias is and um, yeah. I'll give you a chance to add more to it or
1: correct it, uh, as I stated it. Yeah, no, and you're absolutely right. So it is a natural state of all human beings. It is built in and baked into our DNA to have a bias. Because when we're absorbing information at 11 million bits per second, we have to categorize it and simplify it. And then we have to operationalize it in our lives. We have to make use of it. And so our minds are set up to make use of that by filling in the gaps and okay, if it's familiar, then it's comfortable. Right. Even if it's dangerous, sometimes we get really comfortable with some dangerous stuff and we get uncomfortable with some healthy stuff. It's really kind of a uh, a, a very uh, um, almost kind of like a miraculous thing on how we can get trained to kind of operate as human beings. But we can get trained to operate as human beings because of our innate uh, 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 Prehensivity towards having a bias, which absolutely is a natural state of all human beings. And so when we take a look at uh, some of the root causes of this and how that's playing out uh, here in this country, you know, I mean, some of the root causes of our biases um, are, um, you know, really the the atmospheres that we have been saturated with. If we've been saturated with trauma, we're going to have some biases based around trauma. If we've been saturated with violence, we're going to have some biases based around violence. When you take that lens and that reality, and you put the issue of race on it, and you put the issue the issue of ethnic cleansing, and then slavery, and then the and in the and then the mass killing and incarceration of our black and brown people, you know, well, people, you know, black Black and brown people are bad, they're dangerous, you know, because that's the social messaging that's come through by the um uh by the uh by the whole uh mass incarceration movement that's got us to be the biggest mass the biggest incarceral uh country in the in the nation, if I'm not mistaken. China's kind of running close a little bit, but we're there, right? Um and then you know, all of the all of the media exposure and all of the social exposure to uh, black and brown people are getting uh, locked up, and if, if they are around, they're not around all that much outside of that venue, then the way that people get raised up with that innate prehensity towards bias is to go, okay, that's unfamiliar, I, it's not okay, it's oh, it feels like a little dangerous, and boom, there we go, we're rocking and rolling in some racial bias right? And it makes perfect sense because when you take a look at it, and I'm going to pause right here coming up. When you take a look at the thing that's actually occurred here in the United States, you know, we might've stumbled on the concept of race, but uh, there have been some forces that have played it very well to pit each other against each other for the sake of one culture coming up and taking massive control of a continent that was never theirs. That's deep. Um, I
0: want to comment on that because Memory also plays a factor. Uh, As you were speaking again, it was all coming together because the things that we remember help us to protect ourselves also. If we were a species that didn't have memory, then we would go right back to the danger zone every day of our lives. and probably end up being destroyed as a result. And so this now is starting to make sense to me. I didn't have a full understanding of what implicit bias was, but now that you break it down, you know, it's not even really a bad thing. It's just a condition, and, and what people have had instilled in them, either from uh, their memory of bad experiences, or their family members, or someone who taught them something um, that may have been good or bad. And so, let me uh, welcome uh, the brother Harry with Harry Brock Whitman. Um, he called in to the show. You uh, know, I just want to acknowledge him and let him know that if he hears anything that he would like to speak or comment on, uh, please feel free to do so. This an open discussion. Even though I'm in- interviewing my man Curtis, you know what I mean, we got enough room for all the knowledge. So uh, yeah. thank you for coming on here, bro. Yeah, I mean, I'm a person. I've had a lot of conversations and I always try to play devil of advocate to some of the things that he he says and so I, i'll be texting that here whenever i think i need to jump in and, and try to uh, uh make him expound a little further so that i can even understand that's what's up okay that'll work you good with okay. that second, yeah ready.
1: man oh yeah much love man. this is family man come on real talk <laughs> for real um uh, i got another
0: question and you know the way that i wrote now <laughs> I'm kind of, you know, thinking about it because, you know, I had in my mind already a preconceived idea of what it was. Um, but every day I, I I try to seek knowledge, and uh, I'm starting to see it a little different, but I'm still going to ask the questions to give you a chance to, to comment on them and so that other people can get some type of insight as well. The uh, next question I have for you is, will we have to relearn to live
1: with this in society? Um. Yeah, so uh, is this something that can be corrected in people or will we have to learn to live with it in our society? So it's both, right? It's and or, right? So we have to learn to live with the fact that everybody's got a bias. And we have to live with the fact that what we also have is we have identity dynamics. In other words, the sense of my, when I say I am Curtis, I have identity dynamics built on my saturation of information, which means my biases And the and the 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 amount of information that I've absorbed, right, and then the shortcuts that I've created in my life uh, to go ahead and operationalize based on those experiences and information that I've absorbed at that rate, that comes out when I say I am, right. And so that, in other words, so like Lao Tzu says, "Muddy waters let stand still clears up." Right. Here's the thing about that principle: is that is that that's a pond. Right. And if you ever watch a pond clear up, it clears up when you stop disturbing it. But all that sediment is still in the bottom of the pond. It's still there. And that's how we that's how we're rolling with our biases. We may not our biases may not be triggered, whatever those whatever those particular things are, but they're with us everywhere we go. And yes, they can be mitigated. But as long as we continue to operationalize that, that old sense of identity that's based on the saturation of those experiences at that absorption rate, we're going to continually have a struggle with, you know, not acting out on those biases. We can't take authority over it and we can mitigate it. And it's already, we're already embedded with a lot of it. I think as a society, that's why we
0: got to get to know one another. Because if you think about it, Sometimes we meet a person and we have one conversation and, and we be like, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't like it. It's something about them. You know, what do you mean it's something about them? It means, well, that means that you have already formed some type of uh, notion in your mind of who the person is without even getting to know them. So that's kind of a bias because of the first encounter. You know, I think that they talk about first impressions. And so a lot of people in our, in our, in our everyday lives that we come in contact with, Sometimes we be, we be, we cast them aside. Automatically, we say, oh, I, "I something about that person. I just don't feel." Like. Right. And I think yep. that goes to what you're saying. We've been programmed so much with information and so he might say something that triggers you, or she might say something that triggers you. And so I get it, man. I see what's going on, and I think as a society, once we start really getting to know each other and we start learning different cultures you know uh why people think the way they do instead of instead of just cast them aside
1: have a conversation with them and try to educate them you know what i'm saying yeah oh man so much i mean that's that there it is for you i mean you're speaking it right and that's and that's some of the uh evidence-based debiasing techniques that uh people have to implement right it's been proven to work and that's exposure right? Exposure to different things, exposures to different cultures, exposures to different atmospheres. And I'm not talking about the one and done. I'm talking about, you know, we get in there and we spend some time in that different place and deal with the fact that it's uncomfortable. Let that uncomfortability come up. Don't shy away from it. Don't ignore it. Acknowledge it for what it is and walk through it anyway. So we can get to the other side and and get a perspective in uh, a view of what's actually occurring around us that's on the other side of our bias and our resistance to change
0: exactly I like that man that's, that's heavy um, so I'm gonna go into the next question because um now for me the conversation is live and um, we want we want to we want to talk about a few things in the country uh, that we see happening to minorities people of color but I'm going to ask it first, and then we can go and get into it even more. If it can't be unlearned uh, bias, uh, implicit bias that you don't recognize, and it's something that we have to live within our society, how do we remedy it? Or should I say, how do we remedy the parts that cause harm to people, especially minorities and people of color in the country?
1: Yeah, that's a big one, man. You know, and I think we're in that place right now where we're really asking that question, right? So, I, I mean, sometimes... You know, I mean, I know that with me um, in my adult learning curve, um, you know, sometimes i needed some consequences, you know, just real talk, right? It's like, I'm just going to keep rolling the way that I'm going because even though I know it's wrong and I know it's not the, 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 the best part of me that I could be manifesting, this is how I'm on the rock and roll. And it wasn't until I hit a wall or I fell flat on my face and it's like, oh, that, that hurt. Right. Maybe I need to change something. And I think we're there as far as, you know, how people are viewing and have been treating current contexts and historically are people of color. Right. Have been and how we've been treated. And, you know, and there's another part about that, though, too, you know, is, is and so what I'm trying to say with that is that, you know, to kind of close that thread right there is that, you know, are some of our people in this country, especially some people in the places of, of power, um, they need some harsh consequences. Because they already know it's wrong and they're still doing it. You know, law enforcement knows it's got issues and they're still rolling. Law enforcement was not put into place to support people of color. They were put into place to control us. They were put into place to support the ideologies and the welfare of the people that, in their minds, held power. And um, so, you know, and that's and that's a problem because that culture's still playing out today. And so they've already had tons of exposure. You know, this is wrong. They've had tons of evidence. You know, here's the proof, right? Well, you know, now it's time to dial, it's time to dial them boys back. You know, dial that human family back. It's like, no, I, you know, here we tried to carrot, here's the stick, right? And yet at the same time, make sure that we're manifesting the best of the humanizing aspects that we ourselves know every human deserves and needs to see. It's like, hey, just because you're having to deal with some harsh consequences about some terrible things you've done doesn't mean I'm kicking you off the island of being a human being or in the human family. It just means, guess what? You don't get a gun and a badge anymore. And you might have to, you know, deal with some other harsh consequences. So and and, and I think that same thing plays out in the legislature and the municipalities and the governments that have allowed them to operate this way for so long is they also need similar harsh consequences and similar restorative yet accountable processes to address their learning curves. And then we as people of color, right? We've got to deal with our multi-generational right, and I'm going to say rightfully so, multi-generational cultural resentment that we have here in this country, because we got one. I know I got one, right? And we got to learn to... Yeah, go ahead. I'll, I'll stop there. Oh, my boy. oh, no, I was going to say I'll stop there because, you know, that because there, there's some of the, you know, there's some of the stuff we've all got work to do on this. Um, and yet our work is going to be different, but it's still going to be centered around bias, restorative processes, accountability, truth, and moving the human family further on down our evolutionary process where we can be the country and the people we're supposed to be.
0: I want to. Before you comment, I heard you. I think Brock was trying to comment. I want to keep it on policing for a minute because that's a, that's a, a subject that I think that a lot of people have questions about and things that they want to uh, speak on to that issue. You you touched on it. The police agency was established as slave catchers way back during the institution of slavery. You know, so you people probably will say, well, that was 100 years ago. What does that have to do with now?" Because when you create a system to address people escaping from their bondage and bringing them back to it, they have a they, they definitely are about have an implicit bias and an explicit bias because their whole philosophy of why it was created was to make sure that people stay in an oppressive condition. And so we talk about 2022, modern day policing, you kind of still see of it because they believe that they are all authority and that they can control your life and how you live it as a free person in this country and so this is why they have the nerve a lot of times to to respond to calls and to basically try to command your home, tell you what to do, where to stand, how to talk, how to act and this is not their function. They are They are an administrative agency. They have no control over you by law, but we have given it to them as a society because we don't understand what our rights are as people. Uh, Were you trying to say something, Brock, before I go uh, ahead of this? Yeah, what what I wanted to interject was, in the political climate now, the fact that they're beginning to try to whitewash or dismiss their actions with their attack on uh, CRT and any history critical of their past behavior, uh, like banning books and teaching, uh, and the teaching of true history, doesn't that present a, a different challenge uh, um, to implicit bias than it, than it would uh, uh, necessarily in a normal situation?
1: Yeah, so what, what's, what's, click, what's clicking with me, Brock, is what you're talking about in this whole issue with CRT. So when you think about this, right, so let's, let's just go, hey, you know, not, there are some well meaning uh, uh, Caucasian people, white-identifying people in this world, right? And, um, and, you know, and that's just real. You know, not every human being is, you know, terrible, evil, horrible, wrong, no matter what color they are, right? So if that's the case, why are we still here dealing with this issue? And I think we're still here dealing with this issue because there's a couple of things that's at play. One is that people, that, that particular dominant culture has certain uh, conscious and unconscious buy-in on the way that the system operates. And so they have a prehensivity towards a bias in addressing anything at any real meaningful sustained level that might take away some of their real or perceived power. And so when we watch legislation and the whole struggle with holding law enforcement accountable, they're running up against either consciously or unconscious, like, hey, I'm I'm messing with something that I'm benefiting from. Right? And that's a real thing. And then when you talk about how CRT plays out in that, they have there are generations of people who have who have been misinformed about what's really happened in this country. Hence, it's created a bias towards any real kind of truth and any deep dive. And it only makes sense that they would not want any serious examination of America and its true history of race and the true harms it has caused. While all the while it's tied of these things of like freedom and equality, right? They don't want any real examination of that because then people will quit operating in the biases they have set them up to be able to to operationalize and manipulate, right? They played a great game.
0: Those listed who don't know what CRT is, they're talking about critical race theory. If you don't teach what happened, if you don't make a picture of history, then how can to get rid of their biases, they have to know the truth. They have to understand the people. They have to know what they went through. And so, when they say they want to ban this from schools, it of perpetuates uh, implicit biases that people will have based on what maybe their uh, their parents or someone is teaching them. You have sixty seconds remaining, people.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like you're gonna have to you're gonna have to jump back, jump off, and jump back in, man. So I'll talk for a minute um so uh and that's exactly it and that is not by accident we are too far along for this thing to be thrown up again oh we don't really know but we just don't we don't want to talk because we don't want no you know yeah i mean how many times are you gonna watch, hear the stories about people of color being wiped out here on this continent before you understand that people of color are being wiped out on this continent how many times are you going to hear that you all weren't the original populations here, but now somehow magically you're the biggest population here. That didn't happen because you all were doing stuff in a whole, in a holistic and loving and humane way. You weren't settlers. You were conquerors. You were occupiers, right? And to really start, and so it only makes sense that if there's generations that kind of grew up not really wanting to deal with that truth, they would not want the next generations really dealing with that truth because then, being well-meaning, every human being, you know, having the potential at least at, at least as far as my mind, that divine potential to be something very wonderful and loving in this world is going to absolutely have a problem with that, and that's why they don't want it talk because they do want. Generations raised up that are manipulatable and controllable. And it's been about social control. And you can't do that if people know the truth.
0: So it's okay to accept the, 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 the wealth that was left behind. But it's not okay to accept the legacy of pain that was inflicted on another people that was also left on your plate.
1: That's right, Brock. Because if you start all now, all of a sudden, if you start if you start addressing the fact that how come you have so much wealth and these people don't, then you have to start dealing question with that truth. Be, well, I was yeah. saying that
0: leads us <laughs> to the next question is how do we hold people accountable? Like there has to be consequences for actions based on biases. If they uh, hurt other people or if they oppress other people or keep other people from um, having equality in their society. And So I think that that would take us to that question because um we can talk about it, we can educate, but um, these things keep happening in our communities where because people don't like each other or they feel like somebody's not trusted to be trusted or there's some type of enemy, uh, they take uh, various actions against them. So we have to do something to fix it. And what would that be, in your opinion?
1: Well, I mean, for sure, we've got it. We absolutely have to have consequences. We have to have restorative consequences because that's absolutely the foundation of the way that I view this. Um, but just because we're having restorative consequences doesn't mean that people aren't being held accountable, right? And we have to have laws in, in place and systems that and, and eyes that view that and make sure that they're being operationalized to fidelity, right? So that they're done in a meaningful way, they're being operationalized to fidelity And um, that we set in motion a new training process for for our generations, seven generations behind, seven generations ahead, right? So we look at our history, we teach that truth, and then we make sure that we pass on the tools and the reinforcements to be able to sustainably not only continue to unpack what it means to come to terms with that truth, but also some boundaries about how we move as a human family in a humane and restorative way that says, ah, now nah, you don't get to do that no matter what your title is.
0: And it works on both sides of the coin. Before I get to the next question, if you think about it, a lot of people in the Black community, they don't want to be police. Uh, they're like, I don't want to be no police, but this is a problem because I'm going to tell you why. Because if you have people that are policing your communities that don't live there and don't know the people, then they don't feel any connection to them, and so they handle them in a certain way uh, that causes more harm than good. So you have to police your own community. Therefore, we need police to be from all backgrounds and all uh, levels of society. Um, so that way, uh, we know the people that we police. They live in the communities. So I think that that's one of the ways that we can reduce uh, some of the damage that's being done with this particular agency. But I, I kind of got ahead of myself because I said, do you think that police agencies can use training to reduce implicit biases, or do we need to remove some of their authority in order to protect communities that are the targets of implicit
1: biases? Oh, it's absolutely both, brother. So they need, they need, uh, they need to continue training. Here's the thing, right? So. Um, I was shocked when I found out that police had been using, law enforcement has been using uh, um, implicit bias trainings for over a decade. Right. And so then I asked the question, well, what what's going on? Why are you all still having this problem if you've been doing these trainings? Well, what I found out is that they weren't doing the trainings to fidelity. They were doing the one and done. They weren't held accountable to circle back around on the issue. And that is one of the key components of real true uh, de-biasing techniques, real true implicit bias training that is foundational in saying this cannot be a one and done thing. Um, And yet that's how law enforcement did it. So what we're dealing with is we're also dealing with that culture that has a tendency to just kind of do what they want to do and then turn around and act like the heroes. Right? When the reality is is y'all didn't do it the way that you were supposed to do it. You certainly didn't do it the way that the core foundations of this training and science say that you need to do it. Yet you're also sitting here trying to act like it's not your fault. You know
0: why? Because they're not gonna stop. You have sixty seconds remaining until they get rid of qualified immunity. Until
1: officers
0: personally have to pay for their actions, they're not going to stop. As long as the state is paying for it or county is paying for it when they screw up, they can live with that because that's taxpayer money. When they have to come out of their own pockets, when qualified immunity is gone to protect them, then they will take implicit bias training seriously. Until then, they're not going to take it seriously. You have 30 seconds remaining. And not law enforcement. I agree with you 100%. I think that, like he said, like Curtis said, is that they have it, they push it by his training, but what they're doing is probably having an hour-long class just to say, oh, we covered it, and then scratch it off the list and not really promote it or teach it because they're doing it because they have to. So we need a legislative piece, I think, in terms of uh, qualified immunity, like you were saying, bro.
1: Yeah. That's, uh, I think you had to jump off, but that's absolutely on point, right? Is that uh, they they haven't been held accountable. They haven't done it the way they're supposed to. They haven't been held accountable and they haven't been held accountable across several points, right? By the municipalities and the government institutions that benefit from the loyalty they've gotten from the industry that they put in charge of making sure that they oversaw the poor, the impoverished and the people that they want to control, right? And so that's, You know, there's that. So that's also accountability for our legislators as well and our municipalities and our governmental institutions. The other piece piece I want to touch on, and this is on us, right? Is you're absolutely right. A lot of us don't want to play with law enforcement. We don't even want to deal with it. And that's our multi-generational cultural resentment. And we are right to have it. But our children and and our species as a whole is not benefiting from our exercising our right not to play, right? Even though we're right. That That's doesn't right. necessarily mean we're right.
0: Yeah, think about that. If you don't have people reflective of you in the police department and you you're looking for somebody to understand your your experiences in life, and they don't because they come from totally different backgrounds and they've already been fed a bunch of information that makes them feel biased towards you. And so they're always gonna deal with you differently. Um, We saw an incident in a school the other day. Um, I'm not sure what state it was in, but it made national news. Um, They had a a black kid and a white kid in high school. Um, They started fighting each other. It was mutual um, combat. Um, Two police came up. They set the white kid on the side and and didn't cuff him and then tackled the black kid to the floor, cuffed him up, roughed him up, and then the white kid had to intervene and say, "Hey, put cuffs on me." He didn't do nothing. He did what I did. We were both fighting. Why are you doing him like that and not me? So even the kids understand that something is wrong that needs right. to be corrected in our society.
1: Yeah, that's real talk, right? And they're, and they you know and those are those eyes to see and ears to hear, right? So you know and that's that that's what that kid represented in that moment where he stood back in even though he was benefiting from his privilege right from his let's just call it what it is he was benefiting from his white privilege he was benefiting from the police bias towards white people and against darker people black and brown people what that kid did in that pivotal moment is he decided to let go of his privilege and stand up for what's right. That's what it's going to take to change things, and it's going to take to change that kind of movement. It's going to have to come from all sides. Those suffering from the privilege, and privilege is a cage. Don't make my mistake. No mistake about that. But uh, as well as those of us that have suffered under. We should, we should congratulate um, individuals for those
0: type of acts, so that they feel more encouraged to do so. Um, with that being said. Uh, I want to transform it a little bit and go into the uh, subject uh, of carceral uh, reconstruction. Uh, so, in terms of the carceral system, if implicit biases is at every level of society, what can the community do to intervene? You know, because we're talking about the way that mass incarceration is affecting our communities now, our societies now. And how the criminal this criminal justice system is becoming a uh, prison for profit more so than corrections. Uh, you've been here. I'm quite sure you have some uh, experiences with it and some knowledge
1: on it as well. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> you know, I, I mean, so the same, you know, the same general fix has got to happen with all levels of, you know, uh, of our society, right? Um, and that includes our carceral system, um, you know, and essentially not just real training, but real accountability and continued circling around on this issue. Because what where law enforcement failed when I find out that they've done this 10 years of implicit bias training is they never circled back around to it. They were never held accountable to circle back around it and they never held their officers accountable to talk about it and or when they would act on their biases, and there's more specifically the racial bias, and so we have to we have to implement all those markers, and we have to not only implement that within law enforcement, but we have to implement that within our carceral system and within our 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 incarcerated people, um, and make sure that everybody's getting this training, everybody's getting this the exposure to this information, and everybody is getting ample time to process what this really means and what this really bottom line means on at least some level bro is racial trauma you know we are all dealing with racial trauma and we have got to start taking the time and implementing the means and the ways to go ahead and process that so that we can move to a different place of engagement of understanding and engagement with each other and we've got to be held accountable for doing so especially those within places of
0: power It's crazy to me that we have to have checks and balances on every level of uh, our systems in this country because uh, there's a quote that was said, absolute power corrupts absolutely. And so I think the only way that we can fix these systems, especially the carceral system, is by putting in place limitations on people's power. Um, You know, every other... Uh, organization that you think of on society that helps our society function, it has limitations to what you can do if you're in certain positions. Now, inside of the the prison system, from my experience, um, it's kind of ran like society on a real smaller scale. And COs uh, are emblematic of police. Um, And they don't, they they shouldn't be dealing with mental health issues. They shouldn't be dealing with uh, things that have no periphery, like Their job is to keep you from escaping, keeping you from doing harm to others. And basically, you know, they're enforcing a hundred different rules. Like, that's not their expertise. But that's, I'm going off a little bit. I was just trying to show how inside of the system, you know, we deal with these biases on a daily basis. And and prison is one of the most racist places in in the world.
1: Yeah, without a doubt. And it is absolutely, as you said, brother. It is a micro of the macro, right? It's a microcosm of the macrocosm. What's going on? And here's what I'll tell you. You know, and this is what I'm working with right now. We're doing implicit bias trainings with our justice-involved populations. We are paying our justice-involved populations to come in and get this training, right? As well as doing this in other circles, right? But for our JI people, we are bringing them to the table. Say, come on, man, learn about this. You know, and that's that piece, right? Um, and and what we're what what's happening, and when. Yeah, that aside. So I just want to let you know we're doing that, right? And uh, but what's also going on too is that it is not unintentional them overloading our human family that are on the other side of the bars or on the other side of the badge with so much responsibility that they spin out. They're they're failing because because our society has set them up to fail. Definitely
0: what you said i hear that a lot that they are so overwhelmed that they they are human too and so they start to be affected by that and then they lose patience in a place where you, they can't afford to be losing patience you know as they're overseeing their charges so i think you hit it on the nose um I don't, i'm not one of the people that say you know all of them are a bad guy because we don't pull back um, that some people just taking a job so they can provide for their families. I think they just get overwhelmed somewhat and then they start to un- unwinding and start to uh, show uh, wear and tear on their psyches just like anybody else probably would. So I get that too. Um, you know, I got a uh, nonprofit organization. It's called Inside Outside Consults, right? And mm-hmm. we help organizations reimagine what the prison and system can look like uh, because We already know that the current system fails to rehabilitate those who are incarcerated. So what we do is we help change prisons from being punitive storage facilities to centers of wellness and rehabilitation for successful reentry into society.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, So what I was going to say in closing with that is that uh, how does implicit biases prevent prisons from providing useful services? Because someone's in charge of the programming you know every prison they allow you to do certain things and then some prisons won't allow you to do anything you have to fight tooth and nail to get this this uh program in and this educational uh you know what i mean so um if that makes any sense um how yeah. is it advice to prevent prisons from providing useful services
1: yeah well i mean and that's the whole thing too so that's that bias right so it's a perfect social control mechanism you uh, create a section of society that benefits from these uh, a, a heinous, uh, otherizing perspectives to be operationalized within that society. You create division between them. You minimize resources to one and you maximize resources to another, knowing that biases, especially generationally and personally, are going to continue to walk themselves out depending on what you throw into the pot. And so, what we essentially have is we have. You know, um, uh, an incarceral system that has been looked and viewed at as like this place for throwaway people, right? And guess who is the most prominent throwaway populations on in this in this country right now? Us. That's why we make up, mo- you know, percentage wise. That's why we make up most of the prison population, not because we commit more crimes than our white counterparts, but because we're viewed as more disposable than our white counterparts. We get longer sentences, we get stiffer penalties, we get more stacking, we, you know, we are, we are sentenced earlier, we are sentenced longer, and then we're punished because we're generationally coming into this situation like this, you know, so um, essentially what we've done is, especially with our incarceration, our carceral system, is that we've not provided Uh, maximum access to resources to be able to really help people shift the trajectory of their experience. Not only come to terms with how they got there, but also how to get out of there and stay out of there, right? And they've done that by, by acting on this thing that is that is when you take a look at bias and how it really operates, it's because our mind absorbs so much information, we automatically sort things into categories. We create immediate association between those things, positive or negative, and then we fill in the gaps with only receiving powerful information or partial information, and then we're reacted before we even realize it. And when we when look at how not only how people treat and view the justice-involved population, but especially those people that are in charge of the justice-involved population, they are so intentionally overwhelmed by the powers that be that they're reacting before they even realize it. And they're reacting based on their biases that they've been socially programmed to have. So, you know, the first thing we've got to do is understand that that's at play and start really pouring meaningful, sustained resources into countering that, trainings to countering that, and making sure that everybody in our carceral system receives maximum amount of access to programming and resources. And especially with our justice-involved people of color, they need extra resources, and I'll stop there.
0: I was going to ask you, I'll I'll call right back because I was going to ask you how do people get a hold of you and uh, how can they learn more about this uh, subject or any other things you got going on out here in the community of Spokane or Washington or state abroad. But I'll come back to give you an opportunity uh, to close it out with us and to talk more about what you're doing.
1: Yeah, man, come on back. I'm waiting for you.
0: 30 seconds remaining.
1: Hey, Brock, you still on?
0: Yeah, yes, I'm here. Yes, I'm here. It, it's, an, it's, it's, it's always an interesting conversation when it turns to um, policing and the incarceration system because they're on their last vestige of...
1: Yeah, you said. were saying, Brock, it's always an interesting conversation? And then it broke up.
0: Yeah, I'd say that's their, that's their last message of control, uh, the the uh, prison system. So it's always interesting when it turns to
1: uh, prisons and and policing. Yeah.
0: Yeah, because they go hand in hand. I mean, this is a powerful subject that we can talk about more um, because when you bring in those two aspects, um, they basically define um, the confrontation with law enforcement uh, in the inner city, in the black and brown communities. And um, so I think it was a great discussion. And um, in closing, if you you guys got anything that you would like to say, you know, to close it out, uh, to bring more clarity, or just make another point before we go, please feel free to do so, because uh, we were scratching the surface for real. I mean, let me, let me interject something that I think uh, um, a lot of us miss before, before Curtis does that. One of the things that they're doing now is is that they're targeting Caucasian people who communicate and support people of color in the same ways that they do people of color, which is an interesting dynamic in, in, in today's uh, um, uh, challenges. And yeah, that's, that's
1: real talk. It itself that will probably take forever to talk about but i, I just want to interject it as something that's interesting that's going on now yeah well when you take a look at you know the, the the way to maintain social control and to maintain the status quo it makes perfect sense to me it's like yeah man don't don't let them start you know i mean that's that's the whole bacon's rebellion piece right for those of you who know there's the history you know bacon bacon's rebellion uh, you know, was when the, you know, the indentured slaves or the indentured servants and the slaves banded together uh, to fight um, against their oppression. And then what they did out of that is they turned it into a black thing when Bacon was a white guy. Right. And then they turned around and that's how, that's when the sort of the, some of the morphing started. It's like, well, hey, you, we're not going to let you have everything that we have, meaning the elites, But we're going to make sure that you have more than they have. As a matter of fact, we'll put you in control of them. And they've been playing that game against us ever since.
0: Well, I want to say this. You know, based on um, piggybacking off of what both of you brothers said, we know that without white Americans during the time of slavery with the underground railroad setups and all of the abolitionists, we probably wouldn't have been able to get out of our situation. So we know that there are a lot of good white people in America who yep. are outraged, who are appalled by some of the things that they see happening right before their eyes. And we always tell them, you know, you have to speak out. You have to let that be known that that's not acceptable, that that that's not civil, that's not justice, that's wrong. And, you know, so I know a lot of, you know, my friends, you know, they, they, they hate uh, everything that Trump stood for and uh, how he tried to make normalize, you know, racism and biases and us against them, you know. So that's something that needs to be stated before we close. Is that it's the good white Americans in our country who speak up and out against, and they t- they take action through their votes, you know, through, the, through their intervention, uh, to correct certain things. So I, I, I was happy to say that because I
1: know I don't want to leave out any parts of the conversation because I see it myself, you know? Yeah, man, that's real talk, bro. And that and that is absolutely true. And I just affirm and confirm that, right? Um, as a matter of fact, I am linked up across multiple sectors with some very well-meaning, well-intentioned, de- dedicated, um, uh, wide-identifying people and also empowering them and working to help energize them to address other people in their, in their social arena, and hold themselves accountable. And with that, I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and just move it. I know we're kind of running out of time here. My email address is Curtis Robinson, spelling of my name, K-U-R-T-I-S Robinson, Curtis Robinson at live.com. You can also look me up on my Facebook page. Uh, you can also look me up on I Did The Times Facebook page or Revive Center for Returning Citizens Facebook page. And uh, we'll get you plugged in whatever resources and access to uh, some of these trainings and some of the movement that we're pushing for, as well as the many great partnerships we've built across Washington State. Thank you, brother. I
0: appreciate you for coming out. You know what I mean? You ain't never too big for the little guys, man. I like that, man. And uh, keep doing what you're doing, man. man. There in a the minute with you, man, it's to support the cause and keep the struggle going, man. And that's what we're doing for. So thank you very much for coming out and spending this time with us, man, because I know you could have been doing
1: something else. Hey, man, I'd rather be doing nothing else besides spending time with my son, and I'm going to get right to that. Yeah, 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 for sure. Take care, man. Have a good night. you brothers, too, man. Keep your head up. Know you're loved. Absolutely. Thank you,
0: man.